in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the gospel of our Savior. You may be seated. I have never been one of those guys who shows up at a restaurant or a hotel and expects, no demands, very nice accommodations. I don't know if you've been able to tell that about me since knowing me as your pastor, but I, I'm just not that guy. As long as I show up and you're not rude to me and, and the food isn't disgusting, I'm probably going to be very kind and not say a single word to you. But there was this one time. We were on our seminary choir trip and we were actually down in this neck of the woods but we were on our way back and we had stopped in Louisville Kentucky and we stopped at a, a hotel there and we had we'd gotten in very very late and, and we show up we get off the bus and we go to check in and and sure enough the person supposed to do our check-in wasn't around so we waited 15 minutes for that person to come and then I think it took us another 45 minutes to actually get into our room by this point it's 10 30 11 o'clock at night and we walk into our individual rooms and, and I specifically remember being the one that turned on the light going into my room and you swing the door open and there's a cockroach that crawls across the ground. You walked in and, and the mirror around the edges, almost all of the mirrors actually had cracks along the edges and the, the creme de la creme, the thing that made it all just that much better was on the, the bed comforter was a little bit of cigarette ash that had just been left over either from the maid or somebody that had been in that room before us. And that was one of the very few times in my life where I remember going, you know what? I think we should be in a better place. I think we might deserve just a, a little bit more. I think we might deserve a little bit more. You can, you can imagine the Savior of humanity saying that. 
As we sing these joyful, these wonderful praises about him coming down from his throne in heaven and joining us in the flesh here on earth, you can imagine the Savior saying, you know what, better accommodations were in order. But in, under, in order to understand what an unfathomable decision this was for Jesus, the Almighty, the eternal God, to leave his Father's side in heaven and, and join us in this world. In order to understand that, we first have to understand the place from which he come. The, the, focus, the focus of our sermon this morning is going to be on verse, chapter, verse 14 when it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. How could you leave the throne of God for the pig pen of this earth? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This beginning phrase is this very clear confession on the part of John, divinely inspired by God himself, that says, Jesus Christ, the one walking with you, is true God. And not only is he true God, he is not some lesser God. He's not a God of of lesser caliber or a God that was late to the party as far as the Trinity goes. No, he was there in the beginning. He wasn't created in the beginning. He was already there. And we're going to see exactly why in the next verse, why that needed to be the case. Jesus, the Son of God, was there at the start. And what's more is that John makes it very clear that he was with God and he was God. And you start to see that John is sort of doing this, these, these verbal, these linguistic gymnastics, and it almost doesn't make any sense. And, and that's right, isn't it? True God and true man. True God from eternity, true man clearly being born in a manger. How does that work together? It, it blows our mind, and, and rightfully it should. How on earth, how on earth could the Savior that we see lying in Mary's hands, how could that be, how could that be the eternal God? But John leaves no doubt. He continues, he says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Lesser than God the Father? Absolutely not. It isn't like God was way up here and Jesus was was way down here. We, We in fact see that everything that we see in this world was created through him. Jesus had to be there at the beginning. The Son had to be present at the beginning because the the universe... The creation in which we live, and yes, even even these bodies were given to us not just by the Father, but also through the Son. He is the almighty, all-wise God who is right there present at the creation of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Christ is that definition of life. He is the source from which we get our life, He is the source from which we get our spiritual life. He is the one that holds our life in the palm of his hand and he is the one that ultimately will call us home and take our life away from us. We as Christians go as the life of Christ goes. Where he lives, we live. Where he dies, he dies. And he is the light, the life of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Look, look to see how closely John watches his words there. He says, the light shines in the darkness. This is something that's going on right now. Christ, our Redeemer, our salvation, is right now shining a light in this dark, dark world. And he even says the darkness has not been able to overcome it. The darkness of the world, the darkness of Satan, yes, even the darkness of our own sinful nature has tried its absolute best to rage against God, to rage against the Savior, and it has never worked. It has never overcome the Savior, and we have a promise there that the darkness never will overcome the light that is our Savior. So what's the point? What's the point of unpacking those, those five verses where, where, once again, I say, it seems like John is trying to describe the indescribable. What, what's the point? We have to understand that this is that baby. This is the throne from which the Son came. Eternal, divine, perfect, and sovereign. He leaves that throne to join us here on earth. You're sort of left with one question. Why? Why deal with it? If you are the, the divine creator who set the wheels of this earth in motion and then watched your creation completely screw it up, why would you join them in their mess? Why would Jesus enter that manger to wind up cold on that first Christmas night? Why would Jesus subject himself to a first-time mother and a father that I'm sure knew, knew very, very little about raising a child? Why, why would the God of the universe deal with scraped knees as he grew up? Why would he deal with imperfect parents? Why on earth would God deal with, with friends that would turn their back on him? Why would God, the creator, take on all of these emotions of a human being and actually feel sorrow when he sat there and watched loved ones die? Why on earth would this God deal with it if it would have been so easy for him not to? Why is it that, that, that God was willing to deal with the rejection that we see in verse 10 and 11 where he says that the world didn't recognize him and his own people didn't even receive him? Why was he willing to deal with that? Why not stay in heaven where that is not even sort of an issue? It's almost like a father of five grown children. He walks into his house on Christmas Eve and he sees his five children and his wife and his 11 grandchildren and his eight grandchildren, great-grandchildren are all under the roof of his house and he walks in expecting to be greeted with hugs but instead he's greeted with negligence and hostility. Why would he deal with it? Why would he deal with the daily rejection of my sinful nature and your sinful nature who time and time again choose sin and say, you know what, God, I would rather be on the path to hell than, than anywhere close to you. Why, why would God, why would God deal with that? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
He dealt with it because he knew that we needed more than a lofty God. More than a God that would sit back and put his feet up and say, take care of this problem yourself. He knew that we needed a God that would take on flesh because you and I are flesh. Know this, dear brothers and sisters, there is not one part of you that your Savior did not come to redeem. I think in, in a lot of the cases we think about how he redeemed our soul, but, but because he came in the flesh, he came to redeem your flesh. This, this right here, this, this, this failing, weak, year-by-year year aging flesh, God came to actually save that. He saved you in your entirety because he said there was no part of you that was worth throwing in the garbage. There was nothing part that was a part of his creation of you that was disposable. disposable. He came to save you, body and soul, so that when you leave this earth, you close your eyes knowing that your soul will be in heaven just like that, just as the thief on the cross was in paradise that very same day. And he came in the flesh because he wanted you to know that after we pass away and our body goes back to the earth and there is just absolutely nothing left of us that on judgment day, he is going to speak his very word and that dust will once again rise and be made brand new. He came to redeem your entirety. He joined us as your brother because he wanted to save all of you. He became our brother. What an intimate relationship. I know this was sort of a, a shocking thing to me when I was, I think I kind of came to the revelation maybe in, in late grade school that Jesus actually lived on earth. I know that that sounds kind of crazy, but that you could go over to the Middle East and you could walk the path that he walked to the cross. That you could actually step foot in the river in which he was baptized when the, the voice from heaven boomed and said, this is my son whom I love. Our brother came into this world to establish this intimate relationship with his people, with his redeemed. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to know how God feels about you, look at Jesus. I think this was probably a, a decade ago now. My older brother and I thought it would be very sweet to buy my younger brother a present. And so we went to the store, and, and we were actually in a bookstore, and we just happened to find something. We said, yeah, that'll be good enough for him. There were a couple books that we sort of liked, so we, we, we picked them up off the shelves, and we put them in a bag, and we, we took them home thinking, yeah, you know, we sort of liked them, and, and if we liked them, then certainly somebody else would like them. And, and you know what really made those books the absolute best present to get your little brother? They were worn and tattered, used, and cheap. And so you can imagine that when we showed up with these worn, tattered, used, cheap books that, that we hadn't even stopped to think about whether or not my brother even sort of liked these books, he was less effusive with his praise because the gift that we had given him was not given out of love, but out of probably a little bit of convenience. Not so this gift. The gift of the Savior is no 
cheap gift. It is one that tells you exactly how the Father in heaven thinks about you. It says that he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you want to know what the Father thinks about sin? Look and see how Jesus deals with sin. As he smacks down the pride of leaders and Pharisees that he dwells among on this earth. See how Jesus deals with sin as the the woman at the well comes to him and he tells her to go and sin no more. You see the truth of Jesus dealing with sin every single time that he speaks to a sinner. But in that same breath, you hear the grace of the Father. It says that he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you see Jesus freely loving sinners? Do you see Jesus being self-sacrificial for sinners? That is exactly how your father sees you. That's exactly what your father chose to do for you. To send to you a savior that would take on flesh that would join you in the madness of humanity that is this world, that would deal with the nonsense, that would be crushed, that we would be killed, and that would be risen again. Jesus chose this life for you so that we might share the same fate as him. And know that just as Jesus was born in a manger, we too have been reborn in in the waters of baptism. So that we might know that, that just as Jesus has walked through this world with struggles, we too walk in danger all the way, dealing with the same exact temptations that he dealt with. He 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 suffered as he marched to the cross, knowing that we would suffer throughout this life. He he died on the cross so that our death will be tied to his death. And he rose again from the dead because he wanted to see you rise someday. You want to know how your father feels about you? Look at the word made flesh. Emmanuel, God our brother, living with you, dying for you, rising for you, redeeming you. That's the message of Christmas. Amen.